Good evening, Schlangers, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. Kit, would you want to tell us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute? Sure. <laughs> Scrolling. Okay. Uh, The American Friends Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, A Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friends Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list, because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought someone else would do it. But you know it is on the American Friend Institute's top 100? Honey, I shrunk the kids. Hold on, I'm getting a call. Hello? Oh, hi, Hollywood. What's that? You need us to come save movies? Again? Ugh, I'm getting too old for this shit. Lethal Weapon, number 73. <laughs> Thank you, Kit. And we are actually, this uh, tonight's film is number 97 on our our list. American really? Friend Institute list. Yes, Just it is. Just a couple dozen slots behind honey i shrunk the kids i think (laughs) well that's that's only fair yeah um but yes i am your host mike keller and i am joined today by my good friends kit and andrew tonight we're kicking off andrew's best action movies ever triple feature with 2015's mad max fury road yep directed by george miller and starring Charlize theron and tom hardy yep uh which yes 97 on the list i had that but yeah um Andrew, would you uh, do you want to introduce your your triple? Yes. Um, so I'm going to put a little asterisk be- next to best action movies of all time because I'm sort of navigating the movies that we've all seen a bunch of times. Movies Kit won't watch, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, but this this one in particular, uh, I think, hit really hard um, when it came out uh, for a lot of people because there was so much. I mean, I don't know if people. This movie was in uh, pre-production for I don't know, eighteen years, something like that, and um, I uh, I know that uh, there was a lot of like, um, cons- like bad reports uh, from like the set, and like there it went over budget, and it went over time, and um, there was just a lot of um, concern over the movie. I think, and then people also were just like, "Oh, it's a new Mad Max movie, and Mel Gibson's not in it." Um, and yeah, I think there was just a lot of, a lot of negative thoughts. And then there was a, one of the, uh, Comic-Con, uh, in 2014, I want to say. And, uh, they released like a five minutes of footage or something like that. And it just, it really like changed, <laughs> it became like the most anticipated thing ever. And no one had ever really seen anything quite like it. Um, so, and it's all chronicled in this book, which I have just read blood, sweat and chrome. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, so yeah, I've been reading this the last couple of days and, um, it's very, very interesting and I'll have lots of, I've got a lot of notes <laughs> that, uh, Dang. I wow. did not have time to organize. So I'll just be kind of flying by the sweet seat of my pants, but I did have a, an excerpt to read that I thought was pretty apt uh there's actually there's two the one the first one is almost every movie is hard to make but few movies are having making of story as wild long or difficult as fury road and absolutely none of them turned out as influential and awe-inspiring there's no doubt now that the movie 
is an all-time classic, but an important question still remains. Did Fury Road become great despite being forged in fire or because of it? And it's very mm-hmm. debatable. But um, the other part is, in almost every possible way, Mad Max Fury Road is a movie that should not exist. It's the fourth film in a long-running franchise, yet it was hailed by critics as one of the most original movies ever made. It's a big studio action movie, yet it was nominated for Best Picture and won several Oscars. And while it was a major hit... Um, when it was released in 2015, earning $375 million worldwide, Fury Road has become bigger in the years since, and the at the end of the 2010s, nearly every major publication, including New York Times, US, USA Today, Rolling Stone, and the Los Angeles Times, named it one of the best films of the decade. And, I mean, in, in kind of picking the movies, I knew I wanted this one for my triple, but um, when I was looking for movies, I mean, this one... And a couple of a couple of others, like two or three others, are always on the like best action movies of all time lists. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's my starting point. Very cool. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you had that book because didn't it just come out Tuesday? It did. I got it on Wednesday okay. and started reading it yesterday, and <laughs> and um, I'm 20 pages from the end, and I just stopped that's reading pretty... like 20 minutes ago. So. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm very impressed. Thank you. I was going to try to get it from the library, but then it had several holds on it. And I was like, oh, oh well. It's super interesting. You know? It's a really good read. Um, I yeah. don't know. It might be worth just owning because I think I might read it again. It it It's really well written. And I mean, it's a lot of like interviews and stuff. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, it's really well. It's really well curated and put together. It's it's a good read. Very cool. Um, All right. And then. Yeah, let's talk about so now we've got the triple introduced. Let's talk about our, I don't know, personal histories of the film. Usually just have you seen it? I think all of us had seen this. Is that right? No, no. Kit hadn't. Oh, this was new to Kit. OK, mm-hmm. well, then uh, I'll I'll say like so when this first came out, I've only seen this movie twice and it was I saw it twice in theaters the weekend it came out. And then and for whatever reason, I just never really watched it again. Hmm. Uh, I really, really liked it uh, when it came out. Obviously, I saw it you know, twice in like, I think like a three or four day period. I don't know if it came out before a Friday, but uh, regardless, um, I saw it once in 3D. And then the second time I went to go see it, I don't remember which order, but it came out in 3D. Yeah. And then I the other way I, I saw it, you know, 2D or whatever. Um, but anyways, yeah, it was like it was huge at the time, but it was fun because it was one of those things where like kind of like what you're saying with what the reception was for it, where like it was big and it was like there was a lot of buzz, but it was actually like I really enjoyed it. And so I felt like I could kind of participate, which I don't always. Yeah. Um, well, like the Dark Knight is in what's that? I was just going to say, I mean, it had so many like false starts. I mean, Tom Hardy, I mean, the entire cast was cast in 2009. You know what I mean? And nobody knew. I knew who Tom yeah. Hardy was, but I knew him as the guy from Star Trek 8 you know, whose right. career never really <laughs> took off. Like, in, yeah. I think, I don't think Inception had even come out yet. And that was, he'd been in like Layer Cake. And I think it was Bronson, actually. I had seen Bronson, I think. And that is what got him this role. And he's very good in that. So I kind of, I see okay. why George Miller cast him. But at the time it was like, what? You're not casting Mel Gibson? Yeah. That's insane. Well, and especially <laughs> then, because I was thinking about it. And I mean, now... Mel Gibson is seven years older than he would have been when this came out. Mm-hmm. Well, they but shot yeah, this in, 2000... in 2012 is the thing. Right. Yeah. So it's like in 2009 when they were casting it, it probably would have been kind of weird because like Gibson potentially could have been, you know, yeah. 
Well, uh, I mean, not not for this particular. I mean, you know, but they could have definitely made a Mad Max movie around an older Mel Gibson. And they were. They know? originally were. They had they had it was always designed for him to be involved. Um, And their first major false start was in like 2003. And um, okay. like there's no script for this movie. It doesn't exist. Um, The entire thing is thirty five hundred uh, storyboards. And so wow. Mel Gibson just flew down to Australia and spent two days uh, having it pitched to him by um, George Miller. And uh, the two other writers on this film are, are very, I know I, this is going to, we're going to get in the weeds pretty big if, uh, if I keep doing That's this, fine. but um, there's, there's two other credited writers other than George Miller. There's Brennan McCarthy and Nico Lathoris. I think he's Greek or something, but um, Brennan McCarthy's a cartoonist. Um, and so he mm. helped with creating the storyboards and developing the action and then uh, and the general story. And there wasn't another writer who they just didn't jive with. But then they brought in Nico, who is a I don't know how to pronounce this word. Is it dramaturg? Drama mm-hmm. T-U-R-G? Is that yep. how you, OK? So they brought him in to like actually add like character and, you know, meaning to things and, you know, okay. just kind of find reasons for the action to occur. Um, but anyway, like that was in 2003 that they wrote the script in quotes. Um, and yeah, they were, there was, I think they were shut down like the eve before production was supposed to start. Um, and then it just took, and then in that, in the interim, in the six years or seven years between that and actually getting up and going, and they had like built all the cars and stuff. And I guess, and they had to like take them apart with torches and shit and, and melt them down. Um, so like, it was like ready to rock and then it all fell apart. And then in the interim, um, the studio, I think it was at Fox at that point and the studio like lost interest. And then, um, Mel Gibson became, you know, persona non grata. And, um, and then George Miller went and made the first Happy Feet movie. And then it was the second <laughs> Happy. And then between each movie, he would try to, like, make Mad Max. So, like, or or even during, like, there was a point where he was trying to edit Happy Feet. And he wanted to go into production on Mad Max and edit, like, while he was, like, on the set. He wanted to edit Happy Feet. And then the yeah. studio said no. And then And then in 2012, when they got up to shoot again... He was finishing Happy Feet, and um, one of the one of the ways or one of the things he did when he agreed to do Happy Feet Two was he basically piggybacked Fury Road on the back of that. He said, "I'll make Happy Feet Two for you," which was a big hit, but you're not you have to greenlight Fury Road. And the reason okay. he was able to and like and he did the same thing with he did the same thing with uh, you know the, the intent was to to use he he always uses he was using his goodwill from previous successes to like to like move fury road forward for 20 years and then basically so babe comes out and he thinks oh we can make fury road basically they wanted to make a tv show of mad max and then somebody like caught and they like were pitching it to him and he was like kind of interested and then somebody was like you should make a movie and he's like oh yeah so they just like so he was just like no nah, i'm not gonna do this i'm not gonna do this tv show i'm gonna make a movie and then he made babe and that got him like some goodwill and so things were moving on mad max and he went and made babe pig in this babe Two, pig in the city and that bombed and so then the studio wasn't interested anymore and then okay. kind of the same thing happened with happy feet 2 except 
he'd already like got it locked in and they were like fully in production so they couldn't stop it okay yeah because happy feet 2 did not do well (laughs) basically he started yeah he started ignoring it um he had two other directors on happy feet 2 and just was like um (laughs) it was basically like he'd be on they were describing like his his directing calls with them because he wasn't there he was out doing mad max and the other two directors would be it would be like uh okay so here's what we've done and he's like, okay, wow, this isn't very good. Can we fix it? And they'd be like, ah, oh, no. And he'd be like, oh, well, shoot. <laughs> so anyway. Huh. So that's my history I, I and the history. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's interesting that Happy Feet 2 wouldn't do well. Because I don't really think of like those uh, 3D kids movies as like, like the kids go because why would they care yeah Yeah. like it got good reviews or (laughs) something it's It's just like dancing penguins the first one made i can't remember a ton like i mean it was a big hit and it had a huge opening weekend and then the second one it was like i mean it was like 10 percent of the originals opening weekend haul yeah Hmm. i kind of forgot there was like a penguin phase a penguin frenzy Mm -hmm. with there was the surf the the shia labeouf surf one oh yeah surf's up there yeah, was I Madagascar too, yeah. the Madagascar penguins. Yeah, I think they yeah. even have their own yeah. movie. Yeah, March March of the Penguins. That's right. Yeah, and then the uh, is it Farce of the Penguins, the one that like yes. Bob Saget did? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> penguins are big guys. Anyhow. Um, but 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 in terms of like just like my history with the franchise, like um, the Road Warrior is I think before prior to this was the best installment of the franchise, and also one of my personal favorite movies. It was one of my dad's. Is that Mad Max 2? That's the second one, yeah. Okay. Um, and then they the second the first one got released, I think, after or it got released like here in the United States, like right before the second one came out, because the second one was gonna be like a big international hit. Um and then I didn't see this first one until I was older. It's rougher, but it's good. I mean it's a very good uh indie movie. Um and then um but yeah I've always loved the Road Warrior. I think it's infinitely rewatchable highly recommend it and then um thunderdome was the one i saw later in life too and it's uh not as good but uh good production design yeah yeah i think i know i've seen the first mad max i don't i think i possibly have seen road warrior Jesus, but I'm not dude, you've got to watch sure. the road warrior it's so good yeah yeah does well, the for dog a long time, die no okay no. <laughs> uh for a long time i thought like the road warrior was the first one and then like in my head i know i have seen the first one but that's because it was i mean the first the actual first one like it was a big hit it was like for a while it had the um the Guinness book of world records like um uh for like cost of production to um Mm. to box office draw they made it for like hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something like that in 1979 or whatever and then um it's mel gibson's first movie and then it made, I think, worldwide over a hundred million. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. But I, for some reason, and I think it, it, it came. It had some attention here, but not a lot. It was just a huge hit in Australia, and then I'm, I'm assuming other markets. But I know that, yeah. When the road, but the Road Warrior. That's the reason it's called the Road Warrior here. I think now they've kind of retitled it back to Mad Max Two: The Road Warrior. Um, okay. But. Yeah, I mean, my dad didn't even know. Like, we had the VHS tape, and he didn't know that it was a sequel until, like, yeah. I told mm. him, like, later in life. Um, It was when I was looking around, because you were doing, like, best action movies, triple feature. 
uh, I looked at a couple lists and Mad Max 2 is on there like for I don't know several of the ones I checked mm-hmm. it's like in the top 10 yeah for sure um, it's so great like, yeah I'll have to get to that mm-hmm. one of these days anyhow uh, so Kit I guess you haven't seen it before I thought you'd seen it but yeah, well, then let's launch in with a little bit. Uh, let's Kit, what were your what was your first impression of the film? Well, like literally my first impression was that. So when the movie started, like the 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 credits, all of that, I kept saying to Lee, like, are we watching the right thing? Because it felt something. It felt like I was watching a trailer for the film Mad Max Fury, Fury Road or something like it was I just and I don't I don't even know how to describe it. But there is something about the like opening minute that like even the credits and the very, very beginning of the movie, it announces itself as like you have never seen. There has never been a movie like this, like and I don't know what to attribute that to other than I know watching it, I was like, this is weird. There's something weird about this. Like, this doesn't look like a normal movie. Um, and, but like, I think in a good way, because that is of a piece with what you end up seeing. And then I, I think I said to Lee somewhere in the first like five to 10 minutes, I was like, I feel like what's going to happen here is I'm going to recognize this as an indisputable, classic, amazing movie but I'm not going to enjoy it very much. <laughs> and I think I ended up enjoying it more than I thought I would. Um, and I think part of the reason I didn't see it is I don't, I don't think I tend to seek out like dystopia movies. Sure. Like there's like your Blade Runners, but it's just like, I always think like, oh, that's going to bum me out. <laughs> like it's going to, things are going to be gross and sad and miserable. But, I also like I I think when I like an action movie I like the most like bananas like balls out crazy action mm-hmm. and th- like there is I was thinking about how this was a huge movie universally beloved like I don't know anyone who doesn't like this or or it, no matter what kind of film goer you are, like if you care about movies, like movies, see a lot of movies, or if you don't at all and you just like, you know, see whatever's in theaters, recognize like, holy shit, this is a good one. Everybody recognizes it. And yet I was thinking like, my feeling is that unlike Transformers or Pirates of the Caribbean mm-hmm. um, or 300, This didn't become the like blueprint of like, now this is what all action movies are like. And I think that's because no one else can do it. 100%. There's, they cannot, there's no question. (laughs) There's no question. The, the, the insanity of this movie, I mean, just the, if you look at like the, the, the contemporary movies that came out at this time, it's like, this movie just absolutely annihilates them on a cellular level. And I like some of them, but like it's star, it's the star Wars, the first star Wars sequel. Mm -hmm. It's the furious seven. It's um, the event, the second Avengers movie and uh, Jurassic Mm -hmm. world. And like, those are the movies that it was up against. And it's just like, this movie is nothing like those things. And the thing is, is like, (laughs) I think part of it's, you know, 
success is how weird it is. But that also made it like super inaccessible for even the people working on it. Like some people mm -hmm. got it, you know, the people who were like in the room, like creating it, you know, in 2001 or whatever. But um, like the actors famously had no idea what was going on. And like George Miller isn't like shooting scenes. He's shooting storyboards. So it's not right. like he's coming in with cameras and he's setting up, you know, his wide shot and then shooting his his you know, doing his two shot, doing the coverage. It wasn't like that. He would just be, I guess, apparently like one of the big frustrations for the actors would be like, all right, I need a three second shot. And he would be like, action. OK, cut. Got it. Moving on. And it's like they'd, so. But I think that. I think you can. It's like stop motion with yes. human beings or something. <laughs> and I think you can. But I mean, that's not that's just not how you usually make a movie. And I think. I think you can see that. I think you can see how singular of a vision it is. Um, like this is this is not a movie that you could have created and post the way it is. You know what I mean? Like it had to be mm -hmm. like what you saw on the screen. And they say it throughout the book. They say it's like this is like 80 to 90 percent of what we envisioned. And it's like you ha I can't imagine this being, I mean, and, and this is, there's a ton of CGI in this movie, but it's almost all to yes. hide shit. It's almost all for moving, removing cables or uh, changing the color grade or, you know, uh, some sky replacement, some stuff like that. But like, and, you know, there's some like, like compositing shots on top of each other, but like everything else is practical. Everything else had well to be uh you know dreamed up and then choreographed and put together i mean you have the the dudes on the poles like that was something that they yeah. wanted they wanted to sh like they originally they were like okay we'll shoot the cars and then we'll shoot the guys on the poles in green screen and then we'll composite them together and you won't be able to tell and it was like and the the stunt man was or the stunt coordinator was just like mm, give us like a couple days to figure this out <laughs> and they did um you know one of the things cgi can't really account for is the things you don't expect and as much as i think as much as i'm saying that everything in this movie is very very well choreographed there's also just it's allowed to be messy you know what i mean in a yeah. way like just the way the way dirt and dust and and um i mean the only like real notable cg thing in this movie is the giant dust storm um and even that you know i'm kind of rambling now but even that is like they had to, in order to bring that back to the rest of the film, they added a bunch of like practical aspects to it to like make it feel like it wasn't such a departure from what you see before and after it. They exactly yes that that was the during that sequence. I was like, this obviously there's like compositing and there's like computer yeah. stuff happening here. Like I think like there's the shot where you see Tom Hardy on the back of the car through the back window. Mm -hmm. And it looks kind of like purposely cartoony. And that's fairly early in the movie. But I'm like, but they've already with the practical stuff established a kind of cartoonish tone that makes this not stand out from it yeah. at all. Like I know that so much of this is practical. I also know that this is somehow faked, but it totally blends 
together stylistically like perfectly. You know what I think is the big thing that does it? Um, I mean, you're totally right. Everything you're saying, but there's one like tiny aspect that I think absolutely ties that scene to reality. And that's the dirt, the dirt that is constantly hitting the camera. And what they did is like, they just in like a studio, they put a piece of black cloth up and started shooting dirt or dust or sand or whatever at a camera and so they just have all this footage of just just sand (laughs) hitting a camera and then they just added that into the movie and it feels like you're getting hit in the face with dirt Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just like blocking like entire shots sometimes it's just like there's so much there's so much dirt Mm -hmm. so one thing that Okay, so like the first time I saw this, I remember obviously we were all talking about it. Um, and I remember talking to Lee about it and he said something like, actually, there's a ton of CG in the movie. And I was like, no, like there's no way. Because like, you know, like I said, I saw it twice in that first weekend mm-hmm. and it was just like, like what you guys are talking about, how how well they, so I don't know. So much of it is practical that the CG is just kind of like you were saying to hide stuff or to patch things up here and there. Or like um, add, add you know, bodies getting twisted in with the rubble and stuff. You know, they didn't right. actually kill and, war boys. Yeah. And so like, but I, I didn't the first time I the first two times I saw it, it didn't even register. And that kind of like when Lee said that, and I think he maybe shared some article with me, you know, years ago. And um, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so watching it this time, I was like, let's see if I can catch it this time. And I don't know. So I watched it on HBO Max. So it was just a stream. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed CGI ish type of stuff. And then what's what's that? What did you say? You said a word uh, where compositing. Yes. Uh, so I noticed compositing more than I did when I saw it in theaters and I saw it in 3D and 2D. Um, mm-hmm. So either. Having an eye out for it this time or maybe now that it's seven years later, like it doesn't look as good as it did or i don't know it fooled me in theaters it didn't something about the stream it didn't look quite right uh and then another thing that i caught on this viewing that i didn't even notice the first two times was there's so much i mean it's not it what they would call over cranking back in the old days but like you know whatever yes. speeding it up so there's like, i asked so, i asked lee at one point i was like is this where this isn't a mistake right <laughs> It's supposed yeah. to look like this, like at the beginning, that Tom Hardy chase. And I wondered, I wondered the same thing. I was like, is there something wrong with the stream or is this some sort of like a director's cut or something? Because mm. like, I totally did not notice that in theaters. In theaters, it looked so much smoother and uh, just, yeah, like it looked, you know, like it was all just something. I don't know. So I didn't even notice it uh, until this last time. And so I wondered if there was something maybe with the transfer that made some of that stick out more so, or if it was just knowing that there's CGI and there's things like, I didn't know that there was, I f- you know, overcranking, but I think our brains as we're exposed to like better and better visual effects, older mm. effects start to look, start to crack. Um, sure. I think that said, I agree with Kit. I think you were kind of talking about just like they established sort of a cartoonish world. Like even though, everything is or so much is practical like the movie itself is so intensely stylized that it makes way for things like a you know a car or you know the war rig basically exploding into a bunch of pieces and then the steering wheel flying towards the screen 
You know right. I mean? yeah. Those were the things or like the in a crash, then like a guy's face yes. like flies toward Ex- the screen. Yeah, exactly. And like they so I mean, they purposely made room for that stuff. And so I mm-hmm. think I think it's a weird it's a weird mix that I, I can't I can't say that I'm used to, but it somehow just I feel like gives you so much breath to be creative in a different way. Yeah, no, and it wasn't even uh, necessarily a criticism. It was just I was sort of no. surprised that I noticed it this time. I didn't well, last time. I think you're right that it's kind of having become uh, accustomed to probably sharper and more, you know, higher resolution that stuff now, or just you know, new tricks. I will say that but, said, uh, like I I watched it on I watched it on 4K last night, and I don't. Yeah. I think I might have caught a whiff of what you're talking about, but. And uh, who knows? Maybe this is just insane, but I feel like, you know, a lower bit rate, more compressed file is just not going to look as good. I I really think like I would like to get the 4K disc because I really think that it can make a surprising difference. Like I remember closer to back when when Avatar came out, it was on TBS like, you know, two years after or something like that. And like uh, not that much time would have passed between when I had first seen Avatar, which we remember that so well sitting there uh-huh. front row. Uh, <laughs> next but, Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was like, you know, even though I didn't enjoy the film in theaters, it was like, uh, I did, I was like, okay, like, this looks, I, I, I re- at least I remembered what it looked like in theaters. And then I saw it on TBS and I was like laughing. It looked so bad because, and this would have been, yeah. Uh, pro- it probably it might not have even been on an HD TV. Like it might have been on like our old projection big screen in the yeah, basement. That's, that's not gonna work. Um, yeah. And then another example is like um like the uh the stuff Peter Jackson does with frame rates. Oh yeah. I've seen like comparisons of that. Yeah. And it's it's shocking how big of a difference it makes and just how the image feels to you when you're watching it. Absolutely. And so I, I wondered if it was like, you know, 90% the stream and then maybe 10% slightly aged effects and my knowledge of looking out for these types of things. So, yeah, I would like to check it out on 4K and kind of like maybe get a closer experience to the theater. It's very pretty. Um, How big is your TV, Mike? What's that? How big's your TV? Uh, I think the one is it's 45 or 48 inches, I think. 48 How big's your TV, Andrew? 65, maybe. I think so. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean it's old my tv is it's not a 4k tv and it's uh i got it in 2014 so are you gonna get one for the like the for the basement lair yeah yeah we've got a fund i've got i've got some cool. money saved up for yeah it's now it's i'm mostly i've got my sets that i've got my eye on i guess this isn't good podcasting but yeah i've got a list i've got a list where i just i check the prices like every week to see if there's mm-hmm. any sales so probably in the next couple of months i'll have one cool yes yeah but uh it's gonna be a whole you new don't have a tv you, buddy. you get I do yeah. not have a TV. Yeah. I just wanted to let you say it. I know. I know you people <laughs> without TVs. You just you get off on that. Um, but, but yes, I'm very excited. I've got many, many 4K discs that I have purchased that I'm some of them I have watched on my current player or my current TV, but I'm looking forward to. But it doesn't. Like really but they don't look like 4K, right? I mean, they look good. And a, a lot of it is uh, you get a new transfer. So like, mm. you know, uh, it's remastered more recently. So it's a little cleaner image or a little sharper. Um, but like I got Willy Wonka last year. I haven't watched it yet. Um, what else? I, there's plenty. Anyways, we can go to that later. Um, 
well, yeah, what other things? I would be curious to hear some of Andrew's notes unless Kit had more thoughts on first impressions or. Um, I want to. Yeah, let's. I feel like Kit hasn't said anything. Oh, well, I was going to say back when you were, we were talking about like what this what movies this influence is going to say, like if I were to think about I feel like maybe I don't know if it's just because they're sand, but I think like Dune seems. Yes, I thought of related Dune. to this. And then also even um, the Green Knight a little bit. So it seems like if the influences are popping up, it's like not in action movies. It's in like more of the style choices and the and the like very bold like color grading and mm-hmm. um just kind of almost like permission from this movie to for things not to make a kind of logical sense necessarily it, it were there were moments that reminded me of Angel's Egg or of the experience of watching Angel's Egg mm-hmm. where we were talking about how so- sometimes it's just like oh this would be weird let's just do it and so like and there's no like explanation or yeah. anything it's just like yeah this guy cut the only the nipples like out of his suit and it's like well why who knows <laughs> like that's yeah. just like that's just what's happening um and i also thought i think that we were also talking about um how they established like this cartoony kind of style and i feel like the opening chase with tom hardy is like very very important yes Um, absolutely in like kind of it does actually give you a lot that you need like to care to carry you through the rest of the movie yes um including i really liked the moment where he jumps onto the hook thing Mm-hmm. And then it felt very Indiana Jones to me, the way that that ends up being like not working out because yeah. of physics, you know, that he well, swings back to them. And there's also nowhere for him to go, you know? So I yeah. think it's like you get you get this like a little bit of like lighthearted, like swashbuckle, swashbuckling adventure. But then you also get, you know, they're they're kind of drilling down on the desperation and sort of. Yeah animal life he's leaving leading like it's not this is not a this is not a decision that makes any sense right (laughs) and like shit is just gonna be really really hard for the rest of this movie and i also like how it establishes like people are stronger in whatever version of the future Mm -hmm. (laughs) like this is like the way that there's something very satisfying in all the car chases about like one of my fa- probably my favorite stunt in the movie is it's like the middle car chase I think where they um she they get to that place where they're going to give them the gasoline or whatever and then they have to and then it turns out uh-oh and they got to leave. Yeah. And a guy first of all I was like when those guys were just like jumping on motorcycles over the truck and dropping yeah. bombs on it I found myself thinking like how has no one ever thought to do this in a movie? Before? <laughs> like, it looks so cool. Yeah. Um, but my favorite stunt is when the guy on the motorcycle goes under the truck and grabs onto Furiosa as she's trying to get in from underneath. I watched that back like a million times of just like, it's so fast and so, and I mean, I don't know how what they did or how they did it or whatever, but it's just every, what I was saying is that Everyone is just flinging themselves at shit. Like, like their plan 
is to just like jump off of one car onto another. Like that is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the plan. The plan that these people have to like, but, to accomplish stuff is just like so fucking insane. But the, and like those, those sticks on the cars yeah. thing. It's like this, the idea that that would be like, oh, let's add these. These will be really useful. But there's, there's a, they, they create a precedent for that shit. I mean, yes, you're right. Yeah. The, the, a lot of it is like, he, what what crazy visuals can I come up with and then let's yeah. build from there but I mean there's also a there's a precedent like they set these guys up as dudes who are like pining for a glorious death they're all dying already yeah. they're all cancer ridden or whatever <laughs> like this mm-hmm. is yeah. you know they so they take a they they huff paint and then fling themselves <laughs> into oblivion in order to like you mm-hmm. know get themselves into Valhalla yeah, but it's just like it's it in addition to all of this like just new crazy action that they're coming up with, it just like the way that people are doing it like heightens it even more. Yeah. The just there's no hesitation about just like these insane yeah. so. moves. And it does suit like an apocalyptic situation totally. that people are behaving like Yeah. <laughs> And hey, death ain't so bad. And also, I'm used to doing a bunch of crazy shit to survive. Right. It's totally appropriate to the story and like the yeah. world they've created. And, yeah. And side note, um, when you you were just you were talking about you know you were reminded of Indiana Jones, and there was an aspect of this movie that did remind me of like those that that era of action movies where mm-hmm. like simple things, like simple inconveniences, could follow a character yes. through a movie. Um, you know, losing a shoe. I love mm-hmm. that Tom Hardy spends half the movie trying to get his face covering off. His off. Face. That's such yeah. a great yeah. device. Just you're constantly like, just get it off already. Because it's horrible. <laughs> it looks. I mean, it looks like the worst. It looks yeah. like the worst, and it's just like, <laughs> you know, and it's it's it, it makes and it makes it's great because it 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 gives the character an obstacle that we can all kind of grit our you know kind of we're all kind of white knuckling it with him, and then it also. You know, it has a it has a, a thematic precedent. Um, and so I like I like those things. And it, it just reminded me so much of like, you know, John McClane looking for shoes, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, him having the the guy attached to him is like so funny. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's just got that guy on the end of the chain. And like it's such an interesting element of that fight when, he, when it like yanks him to like a seated position or whatever. Like. It's just crazy and so much to think of. Like I can't imagine having all of that in my brain. That's like Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um we uh, at one point you were talking about something uh I mean I guess just kind of on the same note that two movies that I thought of uh during this viewing that I don't think of I I am not reminded of by very many movies. Uh, police story, which I've only just, you know, seen for the first time in the last couple mm-hmm. of years, but lots of that. And like that whole thing you're talking about, like these people just flinging themselves. It's like, that's very like a martial arts movie, like, mm-hmm. you know, just extreme physicality and, but, it, but real, uh, and believable. Um, but then also crank, which I feel like is a movie that yeah. gets kind of, uh, I don't hear people talk about it much anymore. Maybe they are, maybe they are somewhere, but like just the constant go, go like for both crank and crank too 
constant nonstop and then just like they're destroying cameras left and right people yeah. are like flying all over the place that's a good uh, so that's a really good movie to bring up because if if i if i had to compare this to something it might be crank yes i and that's that's kind of what i mean because like because it's so uh, gon- there's almost no other movies oh sorry no it's just like it's so gonzo and insane the mm-hmm. difference i think i don't know this to be true about crank crank feels like a movie like i would believe you if you said they were just figuring it out on the spot and you know their whole thing was just to, to you know snort a bunch of red bull and keep going like i would believe that <laughs> right. and i think there's an element of that in this movie but i think that there's there's just a, a, a it's on a whole different level of precision but i think like spiritually there is a definite definite like energetic like a kinetic connection or something sure exactly yeah and i also i think I like crank a lot. I like both of them a lot. Yeah, but they're weird. Crank has a little bit more tongue in cheek, whereas Mad Max, what I really or sorry, Fury Road specifically, what I really like about it is that it really doesn't like it just is like so balls to the wall. Yeah, like action, action, action. But it doesn't really feel like which it's not inherently bad to have a little bit of like, you know, uh, self-awareness or something. But Mad Max just feels like it's just like a great, great an action movie that you lose yourself in yeah. you're not regularly reminded you're watching a film anything like that I, I well, agree and like, uh, none and I, of the storytelling is through dialogue like no it's all through I mean people barely talk to each other well yeah. in this yeah. I mean George Miller was is a is a great lover of silent film and I think you can he's he's you know the way he describes it is like I'm still working through understanding how that works you know um, mm-hmm. and I think I think one of the I think one of the strengths of this movie is that there's so little dialogue. Um, I think it reminds me so much of this story with Harrison Ford, where they were. I don't remember what movie they were they were filming, but he comes up to the director and he's like, "Hey, so I got this whole like monologue that I have to give," and they're just like discussing it, and the director's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So yeah, he's like, and he's like, "Well, I could do it, or I could just give you a look." And that reminds me, and I'm just like, so watching this movie, you would have something happen and it's like, well, there could be a line of dialogue or Tom mm-hmm. Hardy could just grunt. And yeah, so there's like, there's such an efficiency to the, to, to, you know, not just the, the action, but like the underlying, you know, character arcs. There's, there's so, <laughs> the amount of thought I think that it takes to go from, you know, explaining a story to somebody to just whittling it down to its most uh, to its component atoms, really, I think is Mm -hmm. is is very, very present here. Interesting. You know, and I wonder if it's maybe it's a good idea to make more movies from storyboards as opposed to scripts. Like, maybe that's how you get some of this kind of uniqueness and this creativity. Yeah, it's hard, though. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's why they don't do it. I'm sure. Well, yeah, um, I think some. Yeah. I think some filmmakers like don't like. For instance, like Steven Soderbergh is known for like visual flair, but I feel like I don't think that he would make a movie this way. No. Yeah. Like, even though he ends up in some of the same kind of places, it's. But it's definitely. I mean, I feel like if I were to make a movie like that's how I would have to do it. I would have to know like every single 
thing that I wanted <laughs> to happen yeah. and like exactly what I wanted it to look like and then go get that. But I think one of the like differentiating things too is the is the scale. Like I think you could I think you could make a smaller movie much easier with uh yeah. with just storyboards. But if you're making a move an enormous movie with a huge cast, constant uh, flurry of endless moving parts in the middle of the Nambian desert, you know? Yeah. It's like, I mean, they were there for like 10, 11 months, just, just shooting. And they shot it in chronological order too, which is like a thing you don't ever do. So they were like, and they did it for the, I think part of it was for the actors too. It was just like, cause you know, the, the, the story is, 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 is fairly subtle in comparison with like, you know, a dude in bungee cords with no eyes playing guitar. You know what I mean? Like there's, right. that, <laughs> so I think, can we, t- go ahead. Can we talk about the actors? Yeah. For a second. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, first I want to say, I thought Charlize Theron was so fucking awesome. Yes. In this, like there's something where she makes it feel so lived in and truthful like the way that she is she's like and like she barely gets to say anything Mm -hmm. and she spends a lot of the movie obviously like being a real tough guy but i felt like it was her story was like so emotional to me and so and and also like badass as fuck like i love i think when she honks the horn in the truck is where she reveals her fake arm for the first time possibly yeah. oh yeah maybe which is like a great reveal and then i love the fight when when she has her the the one-armed fight like the first time she's fighting him and she, just how she's using like her amputated arm is like just so rad it's a great shot or a great um, scene <clears throat> but i was watching this going i feel like charlize and tom hardy have extremely different approaches to acting and I think this movie made me come to the conclusion that I don't really like Tom Hardy. Okay, I think that last part is nuts. Um, but you are 100% right about their approaches to acting. Um, they're <laughs> very, very different people. I think in the end, it's possibly what makes the movie. Um, I think, but basically the way their relationship plays out on screen is kind of the way it played out in real life. Mm. Like they did not get along. Um, he's more of like a method kind of Nobody gets along with Tom Hardy. No, no. Um, (laughs) but he's, it's not just him being a difficult actor. There's more to it than that. And it is really interesting reading through like the nuance of that whole relationship. Um, because there does seem to be, first of all, he is repentant, which I don't think you see a lot in these types of situations. Um, but they're both in in a very like chaotic and very stressful environment. They're headlining this movie that they don't mm-hmm. understand. And like George Miller doesn't really like is this. I guess there was a lot of like Tom Hardy publicly apologized at Cannes once he finally saw the movie because he was like, I just didn't know. And it was frustrating because mm-hmm. I would, you know, he would come to him and, and he would ask for like, he wanted motivation for every single thing, every little action. And Char- Which is under- understandable. But Charlize Theron was like, <laughs> I only need one motivation, which is that I want to kill this fucker and get him out of my car. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So you just had two very different approaches to acting and, and um, 
different levels of also just like professional, just being professional. Um, you know, he was late to set a lot and that was, that was frustrating, you know, being in the middle of the hot desert. Um, she was like a new mother and I think, yeah. And I think he's, he's also dealing with the anxiety of stepping into a major tent pole. His career is just finally taking off after 15 years of like false starts. I mean, he thought he was, he thought he was in when he made Star Trek Nemesis and then that killed the franchise and his career for a while. So, and it's another, you know. 10 years before he gets another chance mm-hmm. and so I, I mean i mean and i haven't seen i haven't seen some of his best movies probably like i've seen Locke. i really like Locke. i like him in that mm-hmm. but it's great. just the ones that i've seen are like <laughs> inception i think he's one of the um i think he's one of the most fun people in inception like his role is like a fun role and he's and he's good and doing what he needs to do but it's like it's like bane venom and then watching this i just found myself watching it through the lens of like bane and venom and just being like i made a note at one point that like i really like how everyone is using their actual accent and then i was like well except for one person who's doing who's seems to be cutting back and forth between like and basically an american guy and then a very british guy yeah and in certain depending on what day it, <laughs> it was on set I, and i would the part mm-hmm. i would say the appeal to for tom hardy for me is that he for for a guy who's mostly in like really big stuff now he seems to want like to be okay with getting like the worst job in a way like yeah I don't I mean this the Venom movies are not good but like he is so much fun to watch partially because it's like here is a what are you doing dude and I don't think he's like out of control like I think he knows what he's doing and Bane too like we we laugh at Bane but do you really want to live in a world where that performance doesn't exist (laughs) (laughs) I sure don't it's awesome and so much of it is like it's like no I don't understand what you're saying but like it's so much fun listening to his weird voice in that movie. And like, he does so much with his eyes. Like he is an incredibly animated person. That's, he reminds what, me that's of, what Lee said. He reminds me of like Travolta in a lot of ways where like, he hmm. does like very, very big things in extremely small spaces. I think, I think his physicality in this, I appreciate a lot. And like, you're saying like, it's the whole so character. much of this, <laughs> so much of this is like a silent movie that like, yeah, his reactive face is good. I'm not even I'm not saying his he's bad, but it's more in the scenes where like where he's giving her the blood transfusion and he keeps just kind of doing all these little like grunts and like it was reminding me of like Shia LaBeouf but very unlikable. It was like Shia LaBeouf minus the charm. I don't I think he's I think he was good in the parts where he's having to fight people and look at stuff and react to stuff. Like, I'm glad he was there. But, and and it was in some ways how it worked with Charlize's performance where she was just, like, devastating to me. Like, she was so, so great. And you just really saw her, like, desperation and, like, how, it's just she's playing it so naturalistically. And then, like, Tom Hardy's giving her character a blood transfusion as she dies and he's just like 
being a weirdo and I just that's it Max. just took me out of but shit. That's maybe Ma- you're right. Max I've never seen another Mad he, Max movie. So. I mean, his name is <laughs> Mad Max. Like the dude's nuts. That's true. Um, and I think you know when the movie starts, like he's literally lo- he's off his rocker. Like he's completely lost it. He's completely detached. And I think I think even by the end of the movie, like, and I love the last. 10 seconds of the movie um mm-hmm. he takes off into the wasteland like that's and that's what mad max always mm-hmm. does he always leaves and just takes off but like i think i don't think i don't think the movie completely resolves his mental state his grief um i think all of who that was all, who were what was all that stuff his family died in the first movie they were actually it's, okay. it's funny the guy who plays a morton joe plays the antagonist toe cutter in the original mad max um mm. but yeah it's uh, an actually interesting side note about that stuff is they weren't originally they didn't have like the flashes like mm-hmm. that wasn't that was one of the things that was not shot was not part of the original story and then they created that in the edit which i think is interesting because there are moments where it hits where it's like, oh, that's why. That's why the 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 subsequent action that you take makes sense. So I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't mind like those flat. Like I don't think the movie needed to tell me that or like you know give me. I'm glad that they again. Like I'm really glad this movie didn't have a lot of exposition or dialogue or anything. Like I don't. No. I don't want more. And then and most of like. Like the side, a lot of the the dialogue and the jokes and stuff came from like side characters. And I thought all those guys were really funny. Like the guy who keeps like climbing up to the window on Charlie on Charlize's mm-hmm. truck to like <laughs> ask what she's doing. Like he was very funny. The um the giant guy, the giant like son of the king or I whatever. Baby brother. Yeah. He was yeah. hilarious. <laughs> that dude was awesome. Perfect in every way. So funny. <laughs> all of that yeah group. like all those people are were really were really great he's great i, I like think nicholas, nicholas holt is like kind of an unsung he was hero awesome. in this movie yeah it's, i didn't know he was in it and i was like is that nicholas holt it's funny because like you know as i was saying when we started the episode like he was he was cast and he he was originally thought to be too old for this role and he was cast when he was like 19 or 20 and then hmm. and then they didn't shoot for another, you know, four years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew who Nicholas Holt was when he and Zoe Kravitz, too. Like they went off and did yeah. they went off hmm. and did X-Men movies before. Riley like, Keough. Yeah. Between getting cast and filming this movie, a lot of these people became famous. Which maybe hopefully maybe that helped <laughs> helped old George Miller as well. Yeah. Get it made. Yeah. Um. Well, what happened was they um, they were supposed to shoot this in Australia, and again, like the eve of filming, I think it was like maybe like two weeks before they were actually supposed to roll. There was these. I remember this too. There was these like superstorms in Australia that caused the valley they were going to shoot in to become like green with like flowers and things, hmm. and so they they ended up like they weren't sure what to do. The movie had been they'd been given the go ahead, but like. There were things that they weren't sure they were allowed to do. And they had this producer who was basically like, you know, they were they were like, all right, we got to go shoot this in Nambia, which is where they were going to originally shoot it in 2003, I want to say, when it first got canceled. Um, so they, without telling anybody, like loaded everything onto a 
container ship and just took it there and then and then like informed wb that they were there uh which i think is great that feels very like uh independent filmmaking ethos but just you know <laughs> with hundreds of with millions a, of dollars yeah with a like what 180 million dollar budget it's like 200 is that what and the it's... budget was what's that this was 200 million i think i think it was 200 yeah 200 200 plus uh it went over budget that is it's nuts. Incredible. I can't believe that he got that. It's pretty crazy. I know. It is. I can't believe insane. anybody gave that to George Miller. Like, I'm glad they did and they should. And I want that to happen. But, like, what a swindler. Like, I can't believe he, <laughs> he I can't believe he pulled that off. The way he describes it, it's so funny because he's just like, because he had so, so much, there was so much failure attached to this movie before, you know, before they'd shot a single, single cell of uh, film. And, basically what he the way he views it is just like i just had to wait him out and then eventually i get to make this movie and there was like constant turmoil with the studio too because there was like a bunch of like political stuff going on with the studio at that time um the guy who was running wb at the time was stepping down so there was like the heads of three divisions were were um vying for the job and Jeff Robinov, who was running the film division at that time, was like bringing the hammer down. And basically they were getting, you know, rushes back from the set that were like, what the fuck is this? Because I think we all agree, like this movie has a very specific language to it that was maybe written for this movie and we'll never see again. And so if you're just yeah. getting like, you know, sequences of rushes with people like giving like odd lines and descriptions to things and like there's just weird you know weird mise-en-scene that doesn't really make any sense out of context or maybe even in context and uh you know they're just like what the fuck are they doing out in the desert <laughs> so jeff robinov like flew out there and like he like cut a month out of filming and was like and they hadn't even shot the beginning or the end so they shot the entire chase sequence for 10 or 11 months and then all the stuff at the Citadel was going to be done on sound stages. And he just said hmm. no and cut it out. And so, like, they created a whole, they went home and for a year worked on the edit. And then the new guy took over, Kevin Sujihara, um, who I think has since stepped down. But he, uh, he was, he saw the rough cut. And he was like, huh, this movie doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like yeah so they let him like bring the cast back together and they got to shoot the beginning and the end of the movie so they shot like the first thing they the very first thing they shot is uh the mad max's car crash and then it just launched into the the whole chase and then it just ended weird yeah but isn't that crazy the idea that you, you you've already spent you know a hundred and whatever odd million dollars Mm -hmm. on this on this huge movie and your solution to it going to to it being an, a thing you've spent so much money on is to be like how about you not finish it yeah i know there's stuff like you hear stuff about that like often I, and it always just blows mm -hmm. my mind like you were even saying before like they had started i can't remember if you said they'd actually started pre-production of the film or some sort of a tv show but that they melted down all the cars or whatever yeah it's like, but why? Like, couldn't you put it in another movie or like put it in a garage like for when you do make this movie or? Yeah, it's very weird. Um, yeah, it's but I guess you're saying there were a lot of like uh, studio heads like changing. Obviously, I guess if they the it took them, you know, 
third, I don't know, 20, 25 years to make of this movie. There's always that thing where like, I, I can't think of an example, but you always hear of that thing where it's like, there's a really good movie, but somebody else takes charge of the studio and they just totally want to shit on yes. every project that the guy before them. Yes. Yeah. And, so, and we, we've, yeah. we've talked about this before where it's like, yeah, you know, Hollywood, I can't think of what Hollywood being run by, you know, MBAs has been like a horrible, yeah. horrible thing. And, you know, I think that's happening at this time. And because they don't, and even, even when the movie was edited, it's really like the post-production process is so fascinating because they had like they made he made like 14 cuts of the movie or something and he had final cut of the movie but like the studio okay. was like we don't know how to sell this and we got to make it PG-13 and we got to get it down to 90 minutes so up until the bitter end they were trying to just recoup what they assumed would be a loss and it was all huh. about a thing that they didn't know how to sell and so the studio basically asked him like can we create our own edit alongside your edit? <laughs> and he could have said no, but he said, yeah, sure. Um, and then they did a dueling test screening. So they did like, they booked two theaters and the results of that wow. were decide which cut they were going to do. And George Miller's cut like annihilated the other cut. Oh, but wow. and it goes by so fast. The two hours, Absolutely. it fucking yes. zooms by. But the most, yeah. the most awesome thing to me is that, George Miller watched that cut, you know, the studio cut and and came back and was like, "Hey, I'd like to borrow I'd like to put a couple of those ideas into my movie." Oh. Like that's cool. Yeah, that's rad as hell. What a sweet boy. Yeah, very much so. Um <laughs> That's that's but, exactly what you expect from the director of Happy Feet. Exactly. I know. <laughs> it's wild. And like and I think uh, you know another big thing, you know, speaking of like this being something that we sell to people because it I mean, you know, you make something for 200 million dollars, you do hope that you'll be able to sell it to somebody. Yeah. As crass as that might sound, but um, and I totally understand them not knowing how to sell it. Absolutely, like, I, it actually does make sense. There's never been a movie like this. I yeah. feel. Yeah. No, I I agree. I do. I do have some sympathy. Um, but I just think that like the the solution so oftentimes with with these business guys is to torpedo what they're doing because they're afraid. Yeah. Um, but they they got like basically the best trailer person in the business. Um, and that per like when they were getting footage over to cut together, they like instantly got what they were doing. And I think a huge part of, of people of like the audience, like connecting with this movie, you know, before seeing it, deciding, Oh, I'm going to go see that was the campaign, the trailer campaign. Yeah. Like though that first trailer was insane. I mean, it's one of the best movie marketing campaigns I've ever seen still. It's like I remember that trailer. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah, I think it opens with the first shot of the movie and then it just yeah. goes just like the movie. thing. So, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the editor who's his wife, um, George Miller's wife, I, you know, she was saying that, like, um, when she saw the first trailer, she was like, oh, thank God somebody gets it. OK, <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. And I mean, looking at his upcoming projects, it seems like he's in the mad max business yeah from now on which which also seems like what he's wanted maybe yeah i mean he's already <laughs> his made... whole movie career to be <laughs> he's not he's not a prolific director like he's done a lot of producing and no. stuff but he also does weird you know like he did the witches of eastwick and they talk a lot about the eastwick witches of eastwick in this book i love that movie oh, it's great but it's also kind of like nonsensical you know um it's like kind of hard to like i don't 
I feel like that movie mm-hmm. lives and dies by, you know, how crazy it is and the performances, mm-hmm. but like also just like, what the fuck is this? Um, which, you know, some of that going on here. But um, yeah, he's got some like, he's got some movie coming out with uh, Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton next year. It's like some yes. love story that just like, what the fuck? fuck is this and then he's yeah and the interesting thing is about the next max mad max or furiosa i guess prequel is that um and i remember this because i remember i remember calling cody when i still lived at my parents house or i was there for some reason in 2008 or 9 and calling him and being like because he and i were two big mad max fans and being like dude they're replacing mel gibson with this guy tom hardy (laughs) it's just i don't know it's gonna be weird um oh shit what was i saying oh but um i remember around that time they were saying that like when they were it was before they had shot anything it was like four years before they shot anything and they had he had created a whole backstory for furiosa and created a script so the script is was written alongside this movie being created so they've had that for a while and i've heard very 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 good things about it um so I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm very, it's one of those like few times where I'm like kind of excited to see, you know, how Han Solo got his name, um, or, <laughs> or how he got those dice because, uh, because it feels like it feels just, just from reading about the production, it feels like a thing that's actually organic to, you know, what's already been made. Huh. Interesting. Got any more trivia from the book? I'd be curious to. Oh boy! Oh boy! Do I have trivia? I have so much trivia that it's like, I wanted to go back through my notes and, uh, and just like, organize everything, but it would have taken me like days. Uh, oh, this is interesting. Um, so George Miller was originally going to direct Contact. And that's one of the reasons uh, that he didn't is because he's just a guy who works on stuff for a really long time. Um, But uh, he said, after two years, Warner Brothers fired Miller and replaced him with Robert Zemeckis. And speaking to Entertainment Weekly, when Contact was released in 1997, Jodie Foster said of Miller, he's the kind of director that could make two and a half hour movie about an eye blinking and it would be the most extraordinary, deep, beautiful film Mm -hmm. But he's very naive about the business, which I think is very true. Um, in response, Miller sued Warner Brothers, the distributor of nearly all the films he had, and um, including The Road Warrior, Mad Max, and uh, and a few others, for breach of contract. And that's what. And then, through doing that, he like inadvertently um, got the rights back for Mad Max. So that's one of the reasons that he was able to kind of gestate it on, on it for 20 years without anybody else doing something to it. So that was pretty cool. I thought, I thought Mad Max, the first one's MGM, isn't it? Uh, I think it's like, it's like a, I think maybe over here, it might be Warner brothers and they might've Warner brothers probably, you know, maybe could have bought the rights retroactively. Um, or, or maybe it might've been a dual release. It might've been a Warner brothers and MGM release. Okay, because I think MGM has the the video rights at least because like uh, that's how Kino Lorber was able to put out the 4K disc mm. is that like because normally Warner Brothers would not cut a deal with like Kino for something like that. No, Anyways, yeah, you're not there. 
I'll just I I had very few notes. Uh, I have some little but, stragglers too. Yeah, some just some of the things that I noted. Uh, I think it's it's it was a great touch. I don't know, not a touch. It was a great idea to have him strapped to the front of a car for that car chase. Uh, <laughs> just because it's, it's like, <laughs> what's that? It makes no sense at all. Yeah. but but he's like this precious. <laughs> but but think about it. I dis I disagree. He's a hood ornament. I mean. That's this, yeah. This I is think a world that we worship cars, right? In the type of like culture that they establish, that's you know they're at the Citadel and like how all these guys are just insane. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense, but because they're insane, it it doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really like that. Uh, the thing that I the my favorite thing about this movie is the the pole cats, the guys swinging on the pole. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. We mentioned that already, but like I remember just being like, it's like uh, I think we've talked about how in the Dark Knight, um. Like, I've got a ton of problems with that movie, uh, with that movie. But my one of my favorite things I've ever seen in a movie is when that semi just the track flips, flips. Like, it's incredible. Just straight mm-hmm. up and flips. It's incredible. I love that so much. And like the polecats are like that with me. It's like one of those just like it's one of my favorite images or things from a movie. Well, I've ever seen. and you you see it and you're like, what the fuck's going on here? And I remember I think I was in the middle of saying to Lee, like, why who would ever think that this is like a useful like how is this a solution to any problem but then they shoot them like from behind like from a driver's perspective and it's like sand and shit and you see and i'm like oh it's so that we would get that amazing shot okay yeah (laughs) like like, totally totally worth it then yeah same with like those stilt guys like the whole blue sequence is like kind of the swamp so fucking gorgeous um and those guys well i mean it just looks it's really cool that somebody can do i mean i think it would be hard to come up with an action movie that looks more beautiful (laughs) than this one i agree i also think it's insane you know i feel like we've heard like over the last few years like i feel like there's been a lot of crouching tiger maybe what's that Crouching Tiger. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like contenders. Oh, sure. For uh, most beautiful action movies. Yeah, Crouching Tiger, some some hero, something like that. Yeah. We don't we certainly do not make movies like this in the United States right. very often. Um Yeah. I don't know. It's a wonder that nobody died or was seriously injured at one point. Like it's it's yeah. it's really crazy because I feel like people have I feel like in the last like four or five years, like it, there have been at least like three or four like high profile movies with like a serious death Mm -hmm. or or like maiming from a stunt performer and like that's weird the things they were doing on this movie are so much more dangerous than what they were doing with as cgi heavy as so many movies are now that's surprising that there have been that many deaths yep well yeah that's what people were saying about like the alec baldwin thing is like yeah why would you even use why like why would you use a real gun in this or why you like it's just weird in this day and age so it's like for for this level of movie that yeah there's almost an argument that like strange i mean you could almost i feel like you could almost say george miller should have for safety purposes you know you wouldn't have got quite the same thing but it's like Mm -hmm. you have the technology to not put people in harm's way but yeah um, and i hope that that never becomes a common argument like oh me too no you know for sure uh i can totally see current hollywood doing that like that it's yeah you you get a lot of that from actors too like i remember there are some actors who think like people like jason statham and tom cruise and are like 
um, being selfish in the way they put other people's jobs on the line, which yeah. I kind of get it, but you're in the movie business, baby. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we well, don't want to sit and watch people sit in a chair. We want to. And watch Mad Max is stuff. like proof that like you can do it. Like people can just be really talented and good at their jobs yes. and like follow procedures mm-hmm. that like stuntman's a job or stunt person is a yeah, job, exactly. you know? Yeah. And they're more concerned with safety than anyone if they are good at their job. Yeah, I mean, the guy who was running the who the stunt coordinator, like the main guy, he was like 60 years old, and he did all the most dangerous stuff himself. He crashed wow. the Doof Warriors um, guitar truck. He's the guy who crashed um, the Black on Black at the beginning of the movie. Um, and And like his kids were like apprentices on the movie. They were, uh, they were, one of them was a war boy and one of them was a war pup. So, I mean, <laughs> you guys want to talk about casting, about some of the other people they cast over the years? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. There's a ton of people who read, uh, Michael Fassbender, Jeremy Renner, Army Hammer. Army Hammer and, and was a, uh, a finalist with, uh, Tom Hardy. They actually, um, huh. they, um, hmm. they read together. And Army Hammer was like, th- thought Tom Hardy was like obnoxious and was like, he needs to be Mad Max more than I do and left. Um, like everybody thinks Tom Hardy is, ob- I swear to God, like everyone <laughs> thinks Tom Hardy is obnoxious. I'm good. I'm good with it. Um, <laughs> and, and then you've got, uh, oh, what else? Oh, then you had names like uh, Eric Bana, which I don't think is that bad. I think that. No, that would have made sense. I mean, he's a true Aussie. No. But then you got Sam Worthington and then an actual, a pretty, a pretty surprising one. And a big one was Eminem. Apparently, George Miller loves <laughs> 8 Mile and really wanted to cast. I could see that. It's weird. We- it is weird. Um, he never acted again, did he? Nah, just like in sh- stupid stuff. But yeah, or like playing himself or whatever. Yeah, playing yeah. himself. He hasn't. Yeah. He had, no, he never acted again. Which is kind of cool. You know? I know because I get that's. I mean, he's good in that movie. Yeah, he was good. I hate that movie. Okay. You hate it. I, I'm not yeah, saying I like I, it. I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying like. Sure, that he's a good actor in it. Yeah. He, yeah. Michael Shannon's in it. <laughs> that's right. Michael Shannon's in that movie. He yep. plays the boyfriend of Kim Basinger. Okay. Yeah. We. I was just abusive about that movie boyfriend. The other day. Uh, Sarah was watching some sort of. I think it was a documentary about Brittany Murphy or something. I was like, mm. so the yeah, most, well. the most, yeah. the most interesting name, and the one that I think will make you the saddest. Oh no! The one, the one that's like, oh, what could have been? Are you ready for this? Do you want to guess, Kit? Henry Cavill. No, that's uh, it could work though. He had to be smaller. Uh. Well, they were looking at Army Hammer. I know. Well, Emory Hammer is not as big as Henry. Ca- Henry Cavill is a fucking uh, unit. Army Hammer is taller than Henry Cavill for sure. And still, you, if you told me Henry Cavill was twice <laughs> as big as Army Hammer, I believe you. <laughs> um, okay. You, I'll give you. Want, hmm. You want one more guess? Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> no, but I'd watch that movie too. No, Heath Ledger. Oh, uh, that makes total sense. Apparently, I can see that, yeah. yeah. Apparently, George Miller really, and this is. Um, this is before, or this might have been right after The Dark Knight. Then is probably when they would have cast him. But um, okay. apparently, they were re- George Miller really wanted him, and there was a point on the production where he was having trouble with Tom Hardy, and he was just kind of like, kind of defeated, 
And he was just like, did I make a mistake? And I just really makes you wonder what would have happened if, or what it would have been like to have Heath here. Oh, really sad. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see Heath doing it. Absolutely. Also. Yeah. I even kind of thought with some of Hardy's like face flickers and stuff, like how he's being crazy. I even kind of thought of Heath Ledger. So I wonder if he was conscious of <laughs> Miller wanting Heath Ledger. Yeah. <laughs> like they had um, um and then for for Furiosa, I guess it's interesting because they are they were looking at Fury at Charlize Theron when Mel Gibson was still attached. So like she would have been really mm-hmm. young. And actually, yeah. Tom Hardy actually read for one of the war boys in 2003 uh, or 2001. Wow. Yeah, it was before Star Trek even. But um, that's crazy. There was a bunch of other people considered. There was Jessica Chastain, um, mm. Gugu and Bathara, uh, Ruth mm. Nega, which is not, I really like her a lot. I don't know. That'd about, be interesting. Yeah, I don't know about her in this in this movie. She's just like so tiny, but. That yeah, it, I don't know about Heath Ledger punching and kicking as hard as. I know he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Tom Hardy definitely, I definitely believe Tom Hardy like kicking a guy and throwing a guy. <laughs> he's a, Yeah, he seems very rough. Um, yeah. Gal, Gal Gadot apparently read. Um, hmm. And that was really? before before her, the first Fast and Furious movie she was in. And uh, boy, I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, Charlize really uh, picks interesting things to do she does and it's i was thinking about this movie too in how it's kind of in a way she considers it to be kind of a trauma but um which i totally understand um but she also understands its importance and i think it's kind of like it definitely started like a new chapter of her career you know, mm-hmm. like she she likes making action movies. Yeah, well, she's a dancer, um, but she mm-hmm. has an incredible aptitude for it. Like one of the movies I considered doing for this was Atomic Blonde. And it's like, mm-hmm. I can't I can barely remember the plot of that movie. But she is so badass in it. And like the comp, the, the just the amount of like complicated rehearse movements in that movie is mm-hmm. it's insane um and she's i loved watching her fight in this like she's she's great she's great she's great but it's like kind of the thing she does now is make action movies yeah um and she's good at it um and she's like in her 40s here you know and this movie too like it's just interesting like where she was in her career like it kind of jump-started things you know she'd had a bunch of like you know stuff that maybe maybe was got some attention but like didn't Mm -hmm. make any money or stuff that just completely floundered i mean she was in i guess she's in the road which i completely forgot about um and she's in a couple of other indie movies this time and then she hadn't done a movie in like four or five years and then does this which is pretty cool yeah she pretty much only makes she's like atomic atomic blonde the old guard yeah um fast nine obviously like the fast and furious obviously it's funny too uh rosie huntington whitley was also you know, she's also cast in 2009 and she said, uh, she said it was the second audition I'd ever done. And I remember not hearing back for several years. <laughs> and I've kind of forgotten <laughs> about it. I'd really put it at the back of my mind. But it's funny to me because like she, you know, she went and starred in a Transformers movie after getting cast in this movie. Mm-hmm. And no one had ever heard of her before. And right. 
it's just it well she she also has a really a funny quote in this movie it's throwing some shade at michael bay where she was like she's like i had just i came and did this right after i did the transformers movie and it was just really nice to show up to set and feel safe with the director <laughs> um uh, but yeah in, in, i in october i was really sad when she died oh i know it's pretty devastating i was like i was so i kept saying like Tom Hardy and Nicholas Holt should both die. And if they kill Charlize Theron instead, I was like, the the right ending for this movie is for both of those dudes to die yeah. and Charlize and all the girls live. And then and like, like right after I said that, they killed Rosie Huntington Wheatley. And then at the end, when I was like, are they for real going to kill if- Furiosa. Furiosa? Like, you fucking... I will not like this movie if it ends with her dying. And there, one hundred percent. I think there, there's a ton of really interesting things they did to build up all those characters because, like, you know, the the the, the economy in the dialogue does not, you know, stop with with, uh, m- you know, Max. The 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 wives also. There's you don't really. There isn't a lot given, but then there also is. They did all these workshops. Basically, George Miller allowed it a, a ton of latitude for people to kind of create their characters. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, even even down to, like, the names. Like, Zoe Kravitz's character is Toast. And basically, there was just, like, a guy on set whose nickname was Toast, who she knew and liked and everybody liked. And so she's like, I want my character to be named Toast. And But, like, there's also things that they build from just her choosing the name like the 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 length of her hair and some of like her character attributes like it all just kind of it's it comes from each of them um and it was the same thing with the the what was it the vuvalini the the old ladies the motorcycle ladies like they too Mm -hmm. also kind of like were able to build their characters and they brought and like george miller is to me a guy who he had a very very specific vision which I think can make you think that maybe someone like that would be very uncompromising. Right. But he's so insanely collaborative. It just seems like he picks the absolute best people he can to help mm-hmm. carry out whatever he's doing. And so like And then he doesn't tell him what movie they're making. Yeah, which is a problem. <laughs> um but even No, on, that's how he gets what he wants. It is. I guess. Well, I guess. I mean, even on Thunderdome, like it was after his producing partner had died and he brought on another director to co-direct that so that he wouldn't have to deal with the actors and he could just focus on the on the action. Um but uh like for this, he brought in the the vagina monologues lady to mm-hmm. just do these workshops with the with the wives just to like talk about talk about trauma talk about being a sex slave um mm-hmm. and just just build in just some understanding of what maybe that might actually be like and how you would feel towards your captor um and i think i think all of that stuff is present i mean if for a movie that doesn't tell you very much you mm-hmm. know you've got two decades of 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 collaboration and thought um that all kind of you know i i like and i think i think doing things like writing the the you know a furiosa script you know writing a whole movie that never got made and having that serve as which i think charlie's got to read um just so she would know who her character is and there's even Mm -hmm. like other little things like when 
she actually encounters the they they find the the motorcycle ladies. Yeah. And there's the one who's like not old enough to be like one of the old ladies. She's like kind of Charlize's age. And it was like, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't in the movie, but like they meet and they hug each other. And it's like, oh, these characters were probably friends right. as little girls or something. There's a lot. Of, it feels very much like we're kind of almost in media res with like the whole movie. The whole movie just starts and like, you know, that there's all of this yes. history and lore. Um and they don't need to, like I said, even with like the guy, nipple guy with his like sh- his suit cut out, I'm like, well, there's probably some reason that someone could give me for why this is the case and I don't need to. But yeah, everybody, it feels, it's kind of Peter Jackson-y maybe where it's like, there's all of this detail put into things that like, you you know, no, until you get a 4K Blu-ray and you can pause, like you're like, oh, that one guy has like teeth on his helmet or whatever. And that probably means something significant. Like there is all that level of like detail here um, that makes it feel very real. But like we're just like zooming past everything. Yeah. Like so fast. Um, I do want to talk about Morton Joe a little bit, um, and just like generally like character design. Um, we've talked a little bit about that stuff, but to me, this is one of the, this is one of the scariest villains I've ever seen. Um, he's, they just made him gross in so many different ways. He's really, really gross. Um, I remember seeing this movie in the theater. I saw it opening night and i remember i saw it with like a whole biker gang like showed up like old grizzled (laughs) dude it was so much fun i mean and they had a blast but it was just like it felt like seeing the movie with people who lived in the wasteland (laughs) but yeah i think that just like him getting you know here's this old diseased fat man putting on you know muscle suit basically Um, a clear clear, like a clear suit (laughs) Um, which, which is awesome. I mean, it's, it's, it's totally awesome. You know, I, I feel like you, cu- his, his head breathing thingy, his yes. breathing bellows bag thing was like, very, really, I did not like that. Oh, you didn't like, you, you didn't like it? <laughs> no, it's great. But oh, it's, but it's, it's horrific. just like, yeah, it's horrible. Horrible. I didn't like looking at it. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. But there's something very like, it's like he's like a post-apocalyptic Darth Vader or something, you know, mixed with an insane clown mm-hmm. or something like that. But I feel like, I don't know, I that character will stay with me forever. Just the sound of his voice, the the cadence of his of of the language, um, just everything about him. His hair is incredible. That's his real hair. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Anyway. I'm a I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of a Morton Joe. And also that that's kind of a thing that I think just like the the insanity of the care. I mean, you should go through the IMDb and just read all the character names like these are all things from I did. It's nuts, right? The, all the wives names. I'm like, what? Yes. <laughs> He's kind of like George Lucas or James Cameron in the, in 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 the way he like comes up with stuff that's like completely original and it just sounds like you, you know, took a bunch of, you know, noises and strung them together and called it that. And then, but it feels like the most natural thing in the world. And there's, and he has like, um, you know, there's, there's reasoning and backstory for everything, you know, like he, he, when he, you know, the doof warrior, the guy with the guitar, like apparently there's enough written about that guy to make a movie, you know? 
I don't know if <laughs> I want to see that movie, but it's just like, that's cool. That's cool that there's, and you can, in the book, you can sit there and read the do four years backstory. Um, and then like, even with the cars, you know, they would, uh, when they were, when they were building them for the, in 2010 or whatever, um, he basically said, you know, okay, you're only allowed to get stuff from the junkyard. You can't buy anything new. It all has to be repurposed. So they'd buy like cars out of people's yards that had like chickens living them, living in them and stuff. And he also said that like everything that you use has to have at least three practical uses. So like, um, and it doesn't necessarily need to pertain to like the action that's happening, but like, like Furiosa's foot pedal, you know, it's one of those shoe sizing things that you mm -hmm. that, uh, they'd use on children and in, in shoe stores, you know. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So stuff like that, which I think is really Brannic cool. device. And I love, and I just, you know, kind of, a, I love his his attention to detail is so, it's so refreshing because you know that like there's so many directors out there who are, are making concessions and just being like, yeah, it's good enough or we'll fix it in post. You know, when we see it in, in the movies that are playing. Um. And I can tell you that, like, the last shot that they shot on this movie in principal photography was the little bird thingy in Nux's car during the storm, the little thing that's kind of rattling. And he oh, said yeah. they it was the last shot they shot, and they spent, like, hours on it. Just, and George Miller himself was, like, with a, with a you know, a fishing line attached to it, was, like, figuring out the right cadence so that it it was it was gyrating in the, just the right way <laughs> weird so I, but that's that's cool like th that's 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 your last shot of the movie you've spent 11 months shooting a movie and that's the <laughs> the last thing that you shoot, the way you cap off the way you the way you punctuate the entire event is by the, the one of the most difficult productions in movie history is this little stupid figurine rattling on somebody's dashboard i think that's very cool Indeed. Should we do some little stragglers? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see some little stragglers. Uh, actually, I, I have none other than I wanted to make sure we mentioned the guitar guy because I think that that's another one of those things that I just kind of remember yes. about this movie. It's just it's another like over the top kind of flourish. But let's I like it. let's actually talk about the score just a little bit um, mm -hmm. sure, because it it is the sound in this movie is for a movie that I think takes. 90 percent not even maybe like 80 percent of what it is from silent movies um the sound is so incredibly important mm -hmm. and um obviously you know there's 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 score throughout the entire movie but it's so i feel like you don't actually notice like the orchestral score until maybe halfway through the movie and it's always there but there's so much just from the way that the engines roar. Oh, the 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 war rig, the war rig um, had whale sounds built into it because cool. they wanted it to feel like something was alive. And when it's crashing at the end, there's no engine noise. It's all that's all whale noise. Um, <laughs> so like when it's actually dying, they removed anything mechanical from it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then like the, you know, the, I think the very cool, the, the stuff with the doof warrior and the drums, like that is the score for a lot of the movie. I think that's really neat. And then by the time you actually get to the sort of middle portion where it's 
less of an action movie. It's much slower. That's when kind of score takes over. And I like that the movie is kind of, you know, there are moments where the audio will drastically change to make way for an emotional scene or whatever. You know, inside the cab of that truck, they there there's moments where the engine noise is completely dropped out of the mix. And it's as if they're floating on air. And it wasn't and, yeah. and I imagine it happened twenty times before I even noticed it. And the only reason I noticed it is because I was looking for anything to write down. I think that's <laughs> I think that's very, very bold to play with reality in such a drastic way. Um and I also think that like score is extremely important to this movie. Um, you know, in a movie that is so visual, uh, because it's it's essentially three main action set. You know, they got the two big action set pieces. And then you have this middle thing that's like, it's, it's almost its own movie. It's, 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 it feels it. I think it could very easily not feel like it fits just the pace of the edit. Um, and uh, yeah, it just moves differently to me, but the way the mute, I think the music is the thing that brings everything together. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think without uh, who's who's the guy uh, Tom Holkenberg, the Junkie XL guy, he did uh-huh. he did the music, and I think it's. I think Does it's he great. also do like Zack Snyder movies? Uh he's done a couple of them. Okay. Yeah, Hans Zimmer did a few, and I think Hans Zimmer works with Junkie XL a lot. And then okay. I think I think I think Junkie XL is credited on the Snyder cut, but not the theatrical cut of justice league interesting very interesting anyway i i found the soundtrack to be awesome and i love i mean just like the engine revving i love i love that when that title card hits when they're pulling him back into the into the citadel and the door shut and the 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 chrome uh title card comes in and you just get a big engine yeah that's so much fun yeah one more that's the thing is it's like it's fun as fuck like it's it's a really cool balance of it being completely immersive uh-huh. but also like reveling in being a movie absolutely you know yes like he- and also being unlike any movie ever <laughs> i think that you know this reminded me actually a little bit about eyes wide shut because i remember one of the things we said about that movie was like people have been saying for years that like they don't get it or there've been like these mm-hmm. endless essays and the last it's time it's esoteric or whatever exactly yeah. and when the three of us watched that movie and talked about it last time i feel like one of the con- the conclusions we all came to was like this is just a movie and yeah. stanley kubrick didn't want to confuse anybody and this is like like this is pure cinema right i mean as much as we joke when we say pure cinema i think that this kind of fits into that and so does eyes wide shut in that Mm-hmm. This is a movie in which a director, I think their their the most important thing that they wanted to accomplish was to entertain people. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, when they were first testing out camera rigs, they re- George Miller really, 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 really wanted to shoot in three D. He wanted like he like his intent in this movie was to to make uh, pure entertainment. And I think this movie is very smart mm-hmm. and there's a lot of I think I think the themes that it that are underlying are impactful and um and, and I think they land in, in very compelling ways, but I think that the most important thing is that 
um, he wanted to entertain people. So, I mean, they created like the the most lightweight 3D camera rig like ever made or something hmm. like that. And in the end, they just couldn't keep it cool enough. Um, kept overheating, so he had to shoot 2D. But um, what a weird thing to have to abandon to be like, oh nuts! I guess we can't make this in 3D now. And then they just like it seems like that so would just camera rig be laying a around. Hu- be a huge change but like you just roll with things that are that huge yeah that's crazy i've and it's like i feel like it did i know i mean i didn't my memory of this movie because i hadn't seen it it's just like every single person freaked out about it like yeah everyone who saw it absolutely loved it well, I even remember, I don't remember if I was on the phone or if it was just text message, but I remember talking to you about it and you hadn't seen it, but I was just like, mm-hmm. oh man, I just got out of this movie and it was so great and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it is weird that it was seven years ago. Like that does not quite I know. Right. This movie's I know. almost 10 years old, but that's how it goes. Time keeps on moving forward. So. It's cool because, yeah, I'm also shocked to learn how expensive it was. I really thought it was like, oh, this movie costs very little. For what they, I mean, not that it, I mean, it certainly looks perfect. Yeah. But everything's so practical and, you know, in a way, there's not like sets or any, anything except for one. Yeah. Um, See, and I, I would wonder if how, how much of that budget was because, I mean, you don't usually shoot a movie for 10 months and you don't usually have yeah. it in pre-production off and on. 20 years. Like 20 years. Yeah. So I wonder how yeah. much of that no, no, wasn't no. even Dude, on screen. Not off and on. What's that? On. On. Not well, sure. On. Yeah. There was yeah. all they had he, in his, at his studios, at his like there was there was a Mad Max room and then a room for whatever was actually being made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I I wonder how much of the budget is almost you know, uh, extra. Well, like, think know. about like the fact that they had to. You have to bring everything in, you know what I mean? And then all of the cast and crew, they lived there in a small town and like they they took over an entire town in Nambia. And yeah, so you're paying people's rents for 11 months. Then you're everything that you have on set, you have to bring in with you. They spent two million dollars on gasoline. The the Giga Horse, <laughs> um, the Morton Joe's car, they had to refill that thing every 30 miles. Jeez. So, I just don't think that like George. I don't think George Miller is a guy who makes things cheaply. Uh, yeah, that seems safe to say. Uh-huh. With this one, yeah, yeah. But, all right. Any other little stragglers? Yes. Okay. Um, the naked lady sliding down that rope made my fucking skin crawl. Mm. When she gets off that tower and she slides down this big old hemp rope or whatever. Holy shit. That's the most like hardcore thing in this movie. Give me a boner. Um, <laughs> I have to say, I thought fades were overused. Fades? In this movie. Oh, Too sure. Too many fades. Sure. I just was like, all right, every scene, this is how we're transitioning. Some of them seems were... like a fade should mean something. Some of them were cool, though. Like it's not just a straight fade; it's like an an iris down to a uh to a flare or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, like there was like times where they would do something cool with it, where it was like that's fun. 
Um, okay. And then my, okay, so I guess I have two other mild critiques. I do think as particularly in the climactic chase, I had trouble sometimes being like, like, for instance, when Furiosa gets stabbed, I was like, wait, what happened? Like, it, it was hard. Hmm. I think I appreciate that this movie is so not gory, considering the entire time is just like car crashes, people beating the shit out of each other. People like he thought he but, was making a PG-13 movie. Great. Works for, perfectly for me. Yeah. <laughs> but there were moments where I and I'm like, I'm sort of attributing it to like hiding gore, maybe, but I don't know that that's actually it. But it was just like there were times where I'm like, I don't know which guy that is yeah. getting run over there or like what. Like, and it's just like they're doing a lot. A yeah. lot is happening. And for the most part, it's great. But there I was getting confused a couple times. Sure. And then for, I was also a, noticing uh, and mm -hmm. I was gonna say for a movie where a portion of it takes place inside of a tornado, you can for the most part you can really yes. tell what's going yes. on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um I think this may be a choice, but the ADR they don't even try to make it fit the environment really like there's no first of all there's not very much conversation but like no. when they're standing in the desert in the desert like deciding what they're gonna do it's like you can see in the scene that like it's extremely windy <laughs> yes and everyone's adr is just like perfectly yeah. unimpeded and i feel like like lee was saying maybe you know the trend in movies right now is to increasingly go toward not being able to hear dialogue at all. Yeah. Uh, because like, that's how it would be or something. Um, and this is almost like, I could see it being a stylistic choice to just not well do that. But it did, it did call attention to the audio, which I don't think is necessarily what they wanted. Well, they did, they did shoot this movie in one of the most inhospitable areas on earth. Um, and <laughs> I do know that they got into the edit and were like, oh, yeah, a lot of this audio needs to be re-recorded. Yeah. But I do think this did remind me a little bit of, like, Lord of the Rings, which is, like, 70. Yeah, which they did that on purpose. They did I've that on purpose. i just learned from Lee. And I feel yeah. like, you know, like what I was talking about earlier with, like, the sound mix and kind of how radical it is at times does make and i do think that they were i know that they were really concerned in the when they were actually editing because like tom hardy was like hey i don't say anything in this movie is that a problem like people are asking these questions while they're shooting the movie and then they get to a point where they're um editing the movie and it's like all those questions that people have been asking for the last five years it's like oh were they right um i know that the motorcycle scene um when they're all kind of talking Mm -hmm. That scene, the way it was originally cut, uh, it wasn't working because it wasn't about Max. Um, that's like kind of an, it's an important moment for that character. And the, the editor, uh, Margaret Sixel, she basically figured out how to make the scene work just by changing some audio. They didn't have to shoot anything. They just changed the audio. So I think they, you know, there's definitely things where they you know moments where they use audio in post-production to like completely steer the story in a movie that seemingly doesn't need to be you know watched with the volume on right totally yeah it'd be interesting 
what if this was essentially a silent film? Yeah. <laughs> Would you like? I mean, there's sound, but like, if you you could definitely do this with no dialogue, especially because. When they were talking, like I didn't know what they were saying, what they meant. And right. Yeah, a lot of the time. <laughs> well, like, I had no idea what they were That's and that's and that's I think one of the that's one of the strengths to me because it's so it's so weird the way people talk and they like there's there's definitely a sense of of like like you know le- the the evolution of language, you know yeah. the the world blew itself up and then anybody who was left over went insane and started talking like a weirdo and i feel like mm-hmm. i feel like you can you get a sense of that um and so i think you know in a way it's it's in that way it's probably good that like most of the dialogue doesn't matter i mean i think george miller said one of the things that he wanted to accomplish was that you could watch this movie in a foreign country and not have to pay attention to the subtitles mm-hmm. i think that's a pretty cool you Goal. definitely wouldn't have to. No. Yeah. Um, I also think my last my last little straggler is like the guitar guy is so just like he's great. Just like as a thing. It's obviously like the most iconic thing from this movie, I think. Studio wanted to cut it. Fucking idiots. Yeah. Um, but What's cool about that to me is you're watching it, you're just like, oh, there's just a fucking weird, you know, Mad Max thing. But the payoff to that where in the crash at the end with Nicholas Holt, where you just see like the speakers yeah. fly out yeah. and then eventually the guitar from behind and you don't see that the end of that situation. You just that's it's that's so brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I think those shots are kind of cool because it, it really, rem- uh, you know, when I was reading about how George Miller wanted to make a 3D movie, it's like. Yes. You can see that. <laughs> you can see And the guys flying at the camera. Like that happened several times in the movie. And that's kind of what I was trying to get at when I was, you know, as an example, when I was talking about, you know, how George Miller at at the heart of all of this just wanted to make a movie that was pure entertainment. And I think I think those choices, you know, cartoony, like we've talked about that, like it is cartoony, but it's it's like God damn, that's fun, <laughs> you know, like to in a in a world where movies are both super self-serious or super self-aware in a way that's like unpalatable to have this just like pure adrenaline uh, weirdness that isn't afraid to like kind of rub your nose in it in a fun way, I think is it's very neat. It's very singular right now, too. Yeah. All right. Any more stragglers? Are we? No, I mean, I could go on for a week. Um, okay. There's a lot of there's Four. a lot of cool stuff. I will just recommend that everybody read Kyle Buchanan's Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, The Wild and True Story of Mad Max Fury Road. Very nice. Yes, I'll have to check that out. Be a, a fun one. Movie books are always a quick read. Like, a, yeah, you know, it's a good one. Um, all right. Well, since we are approaching the two hour mark, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, but do we have any does anybody have a cruise minute that we would like to do? Um, yeah, of course, we have to do. Okay. We have to. Um, hey, that was my best intro yet. That's pretty good. Thank you. Um, 
can I say about Tom Cruise? Who would he have played in this movie? Oh boy. I would love to well, I was he could, thinking he, of Mission Impossible frequently yes. in this because yeah. because the just the everything feels so practical and a lot of what Tom Hardy is having to do is be like, oh shit. Yeah. You know? Um so I would I would have loved to see him as Max, I yes. think, in a way. I think he would have been Max, but I think he I think he could have done a lot of the same stuff that Tom Hardy done, but it would have been funnier. Yeah. Which would have been and okay. I, I think he could have been um a great bad guy in this universe. I think he would be, but it would be a more it would be a more talky bad guy. Like I was um, going to say I could see him doing like he could be like one of the governors that kind of gets called in, yeah. you know, by a Morton Joe or He whatever. would be like a but like but he could be like a Frank Mackey character, right? He wouldn't be like a gross yeah. guy. He would be like a elegant, scary guy. I think he would be um, literally okay. his character from Magnolia with like the cod piece and everything, but yeah, it'd be bigger cod be a, piece. Oh, that'd be awesome. It'd be made out of like steel or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, I also didn't tell you guys, I don't think, but I watched Edge of Tomorrow. Have you not oh. seen it? Past week. No, I had seen it, but we watched it again because YKS. Uh, <sighs> Damn it. What? I was considering doing that as part of this triple. I'll watch it again. I don't care. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, they did it for Jessuary on YKS, and I was just listening to that episode, and I was like, this is just, I just want to watch the movie. I don't want to listen what's to this. The, I want to watch what, the movie. What's YKS? YKS, your Kickstarter sucks. Every They do a Mike Tober oh, okay. where they watch horror movies, and then they do Jessuary where they watch Jesse movies, and... Uh, Edge of Tomorrow is a Jesse movie, and it was good. It was kind of a boring. It, it was a boring episode because all they did was talk about how good the movie is, <laughs> which is often, uh, which typically what you want from uh, a Jessuary movie is for everyone to hate it except Jesse. But like they watched the okay. Mummy as well. Um, Hell yeah, the Tom Cruise Mummy. Oh, never mind. Um, oh, well, well, I thought you meant the Brandon Fraser one. No, uh, but yeah, it, it's just. Uh, He's uh, very, very funny in that movie. And yeah, it's a, it's a good really one. good movie. It is. And it's another movie that is unusual, I think. Yeah. It, it's it not is. like it, other movies, yeah. even though it seems like it would be. Yeah. It's great. And I also didn't know, I forgot that it was... Uh what's his name doug lyman that's supposed to do the space one. Oh yeah yeah the director of go yeah, yeah we know mike <laughs> his tom cruise movies are pretty good so i have Every a, time, i have yeah. a little bit of hope yeah it could be i mean i'm sure it'll be fun. His, his anyhow did you have a cruise minute andrew or no that's it i might that was, that was what it. i wanted to talk about see who he could have played cool cool uh, all right. Well, thank you for joining us tonight, folks. Please join us next week for... But, Mike, what are we going to watch next week? <laughs> I don't know, Andrew. What are we going to watch next week? First things first. You know what's funny is that that joke doesn't work anymore, and I just realized it. It It's it's only funny if you've listened to uh, Adam Sandler Life of Pictures, and it doesn't work. It's, it's a callback to that, but it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. Because... Anyway, whatever. And you can't Wait, what is listen it? to this Adam Sandler life. You can't. If we, you want to. Well, you can't. We reference it all the time, but no one. You You can email us. If you email us, we'll send you an episode, but we're going to pick. It's a uh, yeah. Patreon only podcast. Of course. So. Um, yeah. um, so what was I, the here, origin of that? What's that? Oh, it was from. What was the origin? I don't know. I think you forgot okay. one time and then I just 
made it a bit. Okay. So I've got, there are three choices. And I, because I'm going a little nuts here with the action movies because it's like, how do you pick the best three? Um, so first things first, I'm just, I'm clarifying. I'm not going to do the Matrix because I believe in my heart that Kit is going to pick it on one of her upcoming triples. Okay. But if if this podcast <laughs> ends and we haven't done the Matrix, I will, I will lose it. So okay. is somebody, what, is somebody dying? What, what, why, why would the podcast ever end? I'm so you glad saying? you say that, Mike. Uh, it would end. It would end because of you. So that's <laughs> yeah. nice to hear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I will probably be taking a hiatus at some point this year, but I, I plan to keep doing. That. I really enjoy doing this. So. Good. That's fine. No, I'm just saying that, like, before we die, we. It's very. I don't think it's fine, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i am just saying i'm i am taking the matrix off the table because i believe we are going to watch it and it's very important that we do um okay so here are our choices rumble in the bronx mission impossible mm-hmm. fallout terminator 2 judgment day do either of you have any preference yes i have a Wait. uh yes go ahead well i was gonna say i i would i have not watched terminator 2 in so long okay. i would really like to rewatch it okay kit what uh, do you got? go ahead kit is this picking our next movie, or could I say, like, the two that I want? Well, I already know the two that you want. Yeah, I mean, I love T2, so I'm okay, we're gonna very do T2. happy to watch that. We'll do T2. But I also love Fallout. <laughs> we're going to do T2. So, okay. I think it's tricky. I actually made a little list. Sorry, sorry, keep going, but... Um, when I was thinking my best action movies ever, that's I, I was originally going to start this episode with like so what are the best action movies ever what are your favorites etc and uh i put rogue nation i put the first mission impossible and i know I you rogue love rogue nation. nation i think it's yeah it's so good fallout's also like it's right up there but i guess because rogue nation is sort of the one that pulled me back in like you guys had been with mission impossible the whole time yeah and then like i it's anyways but to yeah, me we can to me to me mi1 is is not as much of a pure action movie as right the later ones, especially Fallout. Well, but it has it gets... the best, arguably the best. But I don't know. Is that an action sequence? I think it is. the The vault thing yes, is that's just an like, action sequence. It's so it's absolutely. It's so fucking iconic and influential. Yes. And... I think I agree with that. I agree with that. However, I'm talking about not great action scenes. I'm talking about I'm trying to find the three best action movies ever made. And I do think that Mission Impossible is the fallout specifically. Okay. Is like very close to one of the is one of the best action movies ever made. Oh, are we watching um Die Hard? No, I don't think so, we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to make it to Die I mean, again, it's like this was really hard for me, guys, because this is like <laughs> we're mm-hmm. this is my jam. So yeah. mm-hmm. like I would this could I would love to watch Die Hard. And uh, I, 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 I mean, uh, there's a ton of I might have to cut out like foreign movies and just focus on, and make this the best American action movies because it's mm-hmm. just like. How do I how do we distill this down to just? Th- oh, yeah, because you were talking about police story, possibly. And I've thought about right. like t- break, breaking it down into types of action. Like this is car action, so then next will be like hand to hand action, and then sci fi action, or but I, I just well then it's definitely Fallout. I I know. So it's just like I don't know. It's it's I just feel like this triple should just. I, I think I'll do the same thing at the end of the episode, 
you know, next week, which is just like, I'll, I'll give us some choices and then I'll gauge your interest and then just pick one because it's just too hard. Okay. There's, there's definitely a case we made for like T2 and like sci-fi action yeah. being at least, yeah, let's be limited to American. Yeah. But there's so, there's oh, just, I love that movie. yeah, there's so much for, for how bad action movies were for a long time um in the 2000s like prior to that and now is like i mean i think especially now i think we're in like a, a golden age of like the mid-tier action and then i think comic book movies are maybe ruining some action like that's kind of become its own sort of yeah. subgenre so it's like yeah in some ways it's sort of ruining things and in some ways it's branched off completely into its own thing because like the distance between like John Wick and the Avengers is so vast to me that they're not even close to the same thing. And there's yeah. room, there's been room for both. Like seeing the way like John Wick has changed action movies in America for the better has been like, thank God. It's like not since the Matrix. Like the Matrix was a big was a big mm. deal. And then we squand yeah. we, we spent the next 20 years squandering that. Um, I can see how the Matrix would fit because what I'm seeing if we're doing like T2 and Mad Max it's almost like movies that pushed the genre sure. forward yeah. like a decade and I can see how the Matrix would be a nice compliment yes to the, Ma the Matrix absolutely changed cinema in a, on a, on a yeah. massive scale for a long time yeah yeah okay well next week join us for T2 uh, and excited. then we'll find out what week three will hold. Yep. And Sarah's um, gonna watch it, right? I'm hoping to get her to watch it with me. Yeah. She should. Um, so, but yeah, slow motion triple feature was recorded in the tiny little tank at the back of the war rig. Special thanks to our producer Lee, the man in the booth, who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slow motion triple feature, or sorry, slow motion triple at gmail.com. <laughs>